Pilots, a podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and give it that second chance might just change your mind. Here we take that chance for you, and let you know our opinion on if a show deserves more than just one shot. I'm Justice. Alongside me is my co-pilot, Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be Daisy Jones and the Six... title of the show i did you had a problem with that no i was just wondering it sounded like you were asking a question rather than stating a fact i was asking a question rather than stating a fact oh yes the, the in-flight entertainment for this week will be daisy jones and the six but there's five of them yeah won't that confuse people yeah yeah it will <laughs> daisy jones and the six is an amazon prime original t- tv show although like, why do, why do we still call them tv shows at this point in history i believe the answer is indoctrination oh well or yeah, culture i guess is what people will tell you but culture is just the lies you've been told that you've been indoctrinated with culture's a lie I it's all indoctrination say, i would say it's because we still watch them on televisions but that's not even true most of the time anymore right like yeah. people watch them on computers on their phone on tablets like also let's face it televisions aren't really they're just monitors we've given a special name nowadays i mean they typically lag worse than most monitors yeah they're shitty monitors we've given special names that way we don't realize they're shitty monitors yeah anyways episode one of daisy jones and the six is titled track one come and get it come and get what also are we allowed to review these they're tracks and not episodes episode one is entitled track one come and get it if you look on amazon prime it's literally called episode one track one come and get it i'll accept this then mm-hmm. i had fine. the same worry for a second when i saw the episode <laughs> titles i was like oh no oh no oh no and then i was like oh wait it says episode in front of it we're okay good. okay it has hit the bare minimum qualifier to be on this podcast not that it <laughs> I mean, it probably doesn't want to be, but it, it, it qualifies, and that's what matters. Doesn't koi koi mean come and get it? I mean, it's like, come on, or continue, or some shit like that. I don't know exactly what it means. I know the sentiment of what it means in the game. Episode 1 of Daisy Jones and the Six. Track 1. Koi koi. That feels like cultural appropriation. I don't think you're allowed to say it like that. <laughs> say what? Say like what? Like, koi koi? I just don't think you're allowed to say it. There's something off about you when you say it. It's just the whole vibe, you know? I think if someone else said it, it'd be fine, but I don't think you can say it. The vibes just feel bad coming from over there. <laughs> what? You're giving me bad vibes at the moment. <laughs> what? You got a problem with it? I, I don't understand. That's my problem with it. How am I giving off bad vibes? You just got bad vibes. By saying koi koi. You just got bad vibes, man. <laughs> what? So we start the show, though. <laughs> no, you gotta explain this. You can't just walk away and be like, no, you sound racist, but bro. <laughs> I never said that. I said you had bad vibes. I was saying I don't think you can say it. What other reason why I, is there? Like, what are the vibes? Why can't I say? <laughs> I appreciate you didn't say this time. No, I just felt like saying something that would just like trip you up. And it worked pretty fucking well. That's all that that was to that. Fuck you. Koi koi. <laughs> <sighs> So this show is... Uh, this show is a documentary about the band Daisy Jones and the Six. Yeah, the show is a mockumentary. No, it's about a real band named Daisy... No, it's not. It's not a real band. I hate to break it to you, but... Their music's on Spotify. Yeah, that's, the music was made specifically for this show. No, this show is a documentary about Daisy... No. Can you prove it? Were you live in the 70s? I was. Fuck. Yeah. Got me. Yeah, sorry, buddy. It's not a real band. Okay, so it's 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 not a documentary no once again it's giant corporations lying to you they made it up daily life in america they made it all up okay so you said it's a mockumentary yes is that fair isn't a mockumentary more like mermaids 
This is this is just a, a show. I'm using sorry. Documentaries. Are of- you telling me that the like History Channel's m- mermaid documentary was made up? Because that's a fucking lie. Mermaids are real. The History Channel told me so. I thought mermaids was Discovery Channel. I'm pretty sure it was history in the like history's long line of downfalls of things. I mean, not downfall. Obviously, the show. No, it was it was Animal Planet. That's what it was. Ah, either way, I think they're all owned by the same fucking corporation now. I mean, Animal Planet and Discovery were were owned by the same. And I think history's owned by them now too. I don't fucking know. Either way, yeah, I would call it a mockumentary. Mockumentary isn't necessarily a bad thing. It means it's mocking the documentary style. What we call that mermaid thing is just bullshit. I mean, it convinced me mermaids were real. Really? Yeah, like for for a solid like couple weeks. I'm sorry. Until I took the time to like actually like think about anything I fucking said. Use the Google machine. The Google machine's not real. I learned that one from the Science Channel. They told me Google was made up. I mean, technically, Google was made up. That's how exactly. Th- that's how things are invented. Some mermaids are real. They were just invented. I mean, yeah. They, I, from what I understand, they used to be shown off in like traveling circuses and stuff. Okay, okay. So I think we can conclude this episode by saying mermaids are real and Google's a lie. An invention. It's made up. It's not a lie. I think it's a lie, but whatever. Okay, so Daisy Jones and the Six to actually get into the show. We start with like splash screen showing the band and stuff like pictures highlights from their career yeah we get a like a bunch of text on the screen uh detailing like that these pictures are from their sold out performance in chicago october 1977 following the release of their multi-platinum album aurora yeah and i mean also in that like text overlay telling us that like they were the biggest band of their time and this was like the biggest tour but it does that classic argument here things like but then they broke up and they, they haven't talked about what happened at this show in 20 years because this was their last show they ever performed together yep and and they haven't spoke about it publicly in 20 years until now yep so we cut between the members of the band in the present day yeah and we kind of just get introduced to them all right like mic checks and like mm-hmm. how long is this going to take da, 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 da. lead singer of the band billy, billy dune done done Dun, is like surprised that daisy agreed to do these interviews yeah which i think gives us a hint into probably part of our future problems being issues between billy and daisy or daisy just not wanting to do any publicity facing thing i think it feels more like he had a relationship with daisy i have no idea it's all complications there of some sort obviously so yeah billy dunn is one of the lead singers songwriters for the band daisy jones and the six yes we then get introduced to daisy jones who's also a lead singer songwriter for the band daisy jones and the six mm-hmm. and we start with her really as our introduction to the past of these characters yeah the interviewer has a very pretentious question which is like when did you fall in love with music which is a a, a bullshit question i mean yeah kind of like i i've spent most of my life on musically inclined people mm-hmm. and i don't think any of them would, could give you a defining moment where they were like oh this is when i fell in love with music because like you don't like you don't have a moment where you, it's not a like love at first sight kind of thing with music like nobody ever like just hears one song and is like oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna do music now no nah, that's what everyone does you're a liar and you know it for me for me it was london bridges falling down from that moment, I just knew music was a thing that would be with me forever, and I just, I couldn't parse it from myself, you know what I mean? It just, it was a part of me at that point. I wanted to douse you in gasoline and set you on fire. I mean, that's another good song, but I mean, I'm not feeling that, like, uh, demonizing human eaterine worship right now, but, you know, it's all good. Is that an actual song by... <laughs> no, it's not, but I just threw out a band that I knew had a weird fucking name. And, like, I can't remember any of their songs, but I was like, we'll run it. Yeah, so nobody has that moment. You're a liar. You're a <laughs> filthy, filthy liar. Nobody has that moment. Yeah. I'm Okay, I'm sure somebody somewhere didn't care about music for, like, 
18 years of their life and then heard a specific song and was like, oh, music. But 99% of people who enjoy making music, listening to music, engaging with music do not have that moment. Oh, yeah, I would assume not. But for Daisy, she talks about how she's always loved music, which is the only appropriate answer here. Like I said, Daisy Jones's answer, not wrong. Yeah. The interviewer's question, bullshit. Yeah, and we were kicked back to her childhood, which also here the interviewer slash producer, editor, whoever, in charge of the documentary, provides us with voiced over lines about how Daisy Jones... No, had it all he's an author he wrote a biography about her okay. we, we get a tat we get him on screen do we later. okay i couldn't like, remember right after oh, he starts yeah, his voiceover yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he wrote he wrote a biography yeah. about her about how daisy jones grew up with it all she had money stability wealth lived in los angeles wanted for nothing but then we see her mother being kind of like an abusive piece of shit but like not like emotionally abusive yeah an emotionally abusive piece of shit mm-hmm. her parents are having a fancy little get together and she is in her room listening to a record headphones on singing her little heart out yeah and the mother storms in because they can hear her out in the party yeah and essentially yells at her but then realizes that by yelling at her she's drawing attention to herself so instead like menacingly whispers in her daughter's ear that no one wants to hear her and um then walks out making a snide comment to the rest of her friends and party goers that it's like her daughter was born to mock her Put on this earth to mock her. Yeah. She doesn't say bored because that would yeah, like yeah, recognize yeah. that she is her mother. Yes. And then they shut the door and she's left in there by herself. Mm-hmm. We then cut to a couple years later and she's sneaking out to go to a concert. Yeah. Although sneaking out might be a strong term. Her parental oversight is like minimal at best. Non-existent. Yeah. And she sees the rock band The Birds perform and that's the moment she falls in love with music. There you go, interviewer. You got it. Yeah. I mean, arguably, this is the moment she realized she wanted to do music, but that's an entirely different answer than loving music yeah like that's that's the question the interview heard like when did you realize you wanted to do music professionally is an entirely different question yeah we're not even professionally when did you realize you wanted, you wanted to, to make music yeah, yeah like that's a that's a reasonable question it's a vaguely reasonable question i think most people actively enjoy making rhythms even if they're not like doing it intentionally i feel like almost every person will occasionally just like tap something out or like make noises in like a rhythmic i i would say i beatbox sometimes but it's not beatboxing or it's just making mouth noises yeah, but rhythm. it's mouth noises to a rhythm. Yeah, it's like... I'm That's not going to pick up well. Yeah, it's not going to pick up well. Yeah, no, I'm like, it. it's just going to piss you off. <laughs> but, like, I do that so often. Like, You know what happens. At the same time, temporally, but not within the documentary, mm-hmm. um, Billy Dunn is growing up in Pittsburgh. And so is his brother, Graham, mm-hmm. and Graham's three friends, Chuck, Eddie, and, oof, I forget their drummer's name. I think his last name is like Varjas or something. V-A-R-J-A-S. Mm, Warren. Warren's his name. That'll make sense, yeah. So we got Billy and then his younger brother, Graham, and Graham's three friends, Chuck, Eddie, and Warren. Yep. And Billy kind of starts the interview for for this segment of the, the band. And he's like, growing up in Pittsburgh when I did, you had two choices. He doesn't even say Pittsburgh. He says, growing up in the small town I did, which, uh, fuck you, Pittsburgh's not a small town. Yeah. Growing up in the small town I did, you had two choices. You worked in the mill or you fought in the war. It's 1970. What war was that? Vietnam, maybe? I mean, it'd be Vietnam pretty sure in the 70s, right? I don't know. They all happened in the time of Across the Universe in my brain. 
they all happen at some point, yeah. But he mentions that he decided he wasn't going to do either of those. And we see him, like, at a music store, practicing on guitar and stuff. Then he goes home, and we're introduced to his brother, who is apparently just up in his room, depressed that his girlfriend broke up with him. His mother and his brother, Billy, and later one of his friends calls him it, have a nickname for him, and I'm tr- struggling to remember what that nickname is. It's like Ducky or some shit? I don't remember. Yeah. He has a really weird nickname. Yeah. But Billy just, like, assures his brother that it'll be fine, that he'll bounce back from this. Why? Because Graham knows how to play the guitar and, and he's, he's 14 yeah he's 14 like he's 14 there'll be other girls and there'll definitely be other girls because he knows how to play the guitar so then we cut to graham and his friends at school and graham's told them that he's gonna start a band and they were all part of it but and so is his brother billy yeah they're, they're initially like why would we want to be in a band what like who cares and then he's like yeah i just wanted to do something with my brother and my three best friends and they're like wait you're telling me the billy dunn is gonna be mm-hmm. in our band because apparently billy's like got a history of like being in bands or something i mean like, some mystery of music but it never clearly comes out and states it but it is very obvious from the way everyone in the realm of being involved with their story before they leave for los angeles billy dunn was just extremely fucking popular yeah yeah so to the degree that we got a quote like just before it really started and we get again here in a moment that Billy Dunn, Billy was not part of the band. Oh yeah, my favorite part is after like, like we get the flashback of him telling his friends about the band. Yeah. Um, we cut to Billy in the, mm-hmm. in the interview chair and he's like, I never agreed to join their band. I yeah. said I'd watch and listen. And then Graham's like, yeah, he didn't agree to join our band. But uh, by the second practice, he was basically in the band. And by and the it, third day, it was his band. Yeah, by the third practice, it was his band. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that, he ends up like integrating into the band because like he's doing what he said. He's watching critiquing listening yeah to, like and he talks about the guitarist like rushing apart mm-hmm. and graham's like i don't know why don't you like show us how it's done yeah so they basically just straight into doing it and then he's part of the band we cut from billy taking over the band mm-hmm. to la where and now teenage daisy 15 16 year old is spending her nights hopping through bars and watching bands like the who and zeppelin play going to the whiskey troubadour the troubadour all that shit it's fucking top tier you know the places to be the literal best time in music the 70s through the 80s in LA on the strip <laughs> the literal best time in the history of music I mean it would have been roughly just before the 70s I think in the time frame of the show no because her first cutscene is her first like flashback is 1970 is it oh, yeah it was before that no because by the time the band breaks up she's only like 22 21 okay never mind yeah continue forward yeah um, <laughs> the show is gonna go off the rails fast I know we've only watched the first two episodes but she's so yeah and it's during this time that she like leaves a bar with a lead singer of a band yeah because he's like hey we're, we're all going to this party and then he takes her to his hotel and sexually assaults her yep this is also where she no longer she this is where she becomes daisy jones because yeah. she changes her name here her name was margaret mm-hmm. but she didn't want to be that weak little girl anymore this is all expressed by her as an adult in the documentary where she refutes the idea that she was just being naive and that like that's not okay what happened wasn't okay it's her literally being like no that's bullshit people that say i was just naive are wrong which is entirely correct but yeah it's also because like contextually the documentary part of the show takes place in 1997 mm-hmm. and it's way before any type of me too movement yeah. so like a hundred percent it would it was like people who would like heard mm-hmm. about this or like it was published in magazines were like Oh, you know, she was just a naive little girl. Like, mm. it wasn't sexual assault. She hooked up with the lead singer of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, she obviously wanted it. Like, those are the things people are saying. And she's mm-hmm. like, no. no. it's bullshit. It's, yeah, like... 
I was fucking 15. Even if I had agreed to it, it still was rape. Like, yeah. So from there, we then go back to Pittsburgh and the Dunn brothers, which is what they have titled their group. And they're talking about how in like the first year, two years, they like literally just in the very beginning of their time, they've played. Warren's like, we played 10 proms, proms. countless graduation parties, numerous sweet 16s and weddings. Grimm in this interview refers to the band at this point as just like an escape, uh, a distraction for them. Yeah, no one thought they were going to do anything with it. They were all just kind of doing it to escape their everyday lives. Even Billy, who like mm-hmm. was quote unquote attempting to pursue music as a career, was really just like messing around with the band. Like it wasn't a real thing for anyone. Yeah, but one night everything changed. Everything changed when the Dunn father attacked. Well, no. Well, no, he got, got it, attacked. It, it, it was Graham who attacked. Yeah, but. So they're performing at a wedding one night when Billy sees his father, who supposedly ran away, was not supposed to be in Pittsburgh anymore. Ran away to like Georgia or Yeah, Al- or an entirely Alabama. different fucking state. One of those states that doesn't like matter because it's so redneck that it'll never actually be a vi- valid state. And he sees his father there, though, at this wedding, flirting with a girl who's easily like half his age or a lot less than that, and gets upset, goes to confront him after he points out to Graham. Graham's just like, he's not worth it. They're arguing back and forth the rest of the band's fucking confused they're just like yeah they finish their set what? they go outside they argue about it and they go back inside and well billy charges back inside and the rest follow to mitigate things you say that but nobody mitigates anything <laughs> i said try to mitigate things billy goes up to his followers like hey do you know me and his followers like should i know you and then it takes a bit more priority and then billy's father looks over at the fucking guitar and he's like well i know that guitar and i know who i gave it to so i guess i know you and billy grabs his guitar tries to shove it back into his father's hands and is just like take it i don't fucking want it yeah i don't want anything to do with you fuck off <laughs> get out of my life like you said you were and his dad refuses so billy just smashes the guitar on the ground and leaves well, smashes the guitar on the ground and then leaves the guitar laying there yeah and he storms off and the rest of the band starts to follow and then graham just hauls off and punches him in the fucking face yeah this 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 scene's very cathartic for me yeah yeah <laughs> And so this is the point where Graham's like, well, we continue outside and Billy then just kind of riles everyone up. He's like, well, before we're going to be the that, best fucking band in the world. Before we get to the best fucking band in the world speech, there's a little bit of the interview in the present day we need yeah. to like, discuss because Graham is like, for me, I really never had a father. I was four when he left. Yeah. But Billy worshiped that guy. And, like, I think that is important for the yeah. context of, like, part of why Billy, like, his character development through the show, but also, like, mm-hmm. the guitar smashing scene. Yeah. And then Billy gives his greatest band in the world speech. And just like, we're all going to be in the best fucking band in the world. It'll be great. As long as we all stick together. Yep. And then we also have a point with Billy in the actual interview state. And Billy's just like, you yeah, know, I thought we were going to be the best band in the world even before Daisy. Yep. Meanwhile, Daisy is becoming this drug drugged out hippie writing songs and partying mm-hmm. um i'm not using hippie as a as a, as a like negative. she's very much the aesthetic which matches with the time period yeah like she's got multiple make love not war posters in her room mm-hmm. like again not an insult i'm i'm a millennial we we don't hate the hippies we kind of idolize their culture <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we see that her mom like finds her book of songs that she's been working on and Daisy's really fucking upset by it but then at the end of like their little argument or currently that argument's very hard to do though because it's very much one-sided Daisy upset is upset her mother basically does not acknowledge her at all in this conversation oh my favorite part of this until <laughs> di- until at the end well my favorite part of this interview scene is like, while we get like, while we're getting like the montage of her like smoking weed yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. going to concerts and party at bars um there's one scene where she's like sitting at a table in a restaurant 
apartment with a bunch of musicians and stuff. Yes. And one guy has a pillow. He's like, this is the new shit. And she's like, well, what does it do? And he's like, I have no idea. And she, she takes it from him and takes it anyways. We cut to the end of the interview. And the interviewer has said something. We don't we don't get their mm-hmm. question. But she's like, oh, uh, would I say I was off the rails? Well, a little bit, yeah. And then we yeah. get her mother finding her And her mother book. just like doesn't really interact with her at all. And this argument, like I said, I tend to call it that because it's so one-sided, ends with Daisy asking her mother if the songs are any good. To which her mother just places her hand on her face and goes, you're pretty, and leaves. It's the most condescending. Yeah, very much so. All the while, her father is looking in at this entire interaction from the doorway, saying nothing. Literally, we have not heard this actor for her father speak at all in these two episodes. And then we're back in Pittsburgh, and we're at a laundromat. Yep. Where Billy has a very awkward moment with a girl. Camilla, who we learn quite immediately is important because we see her in the interview. It's actually a very good point. In, like, an interview like this, most of the people that show up in the interview are going to be important. Yeah. I say most because that author hasn't showed up again by episode two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they literally used him for a blurb, shot a scene in his office. Well, that's because he's an expert. Yeah, shot a scene in his office because he's not using, like, a relaxed backdrop like everybody else. So, I'm going to go to mention it because it happens very, very soon, and we're talking about the interview thing. There was a character who, by this point, was like, oh, they're not either not going to be in the band long, or they're going to be dead. And that is Chucky. Oh, yeah, 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 Chucky. Because we had not seen him at all. We didn't see him for the mic tests or anything. I was like, huh, that one, that one you've mentioned, he's dead or not in the band. So Billy, like I said, has this incredibly awkward encounter with this girl because he, they're, he, they're both in the laundromat. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's stealing glances at her because he thinks she's attractive. But she's also stealing glances at him. Yeah, she's glanced up at him a few times. And she eventually walks over and goes to ask him a question. And she's like, hey, are you? And he's like, oh, yes. Yes, I am Billy Dunn. Nice to meet you. Um, and she's like, okay, am I supposed to know who you are? And then we cut to the interview and she's like, of course I knew who Billy Dunn was. And not because he was in some band. Every girl knew who Billy Dunn was. It's so good, though. So he's really awkward and on the back phone. She's like, I was just going to ask if you were using that basket. And so she gets the basket. They're doing laundry. She absolutely pretends not to know who he is. And he asks her out on a date, and she's just like, well, why would I do that? Oh, come on. You're just giving me some of the best dialogue in this entire episode. Fine, go ahead. She's like, what's a big rock star like you doing at the local neighborhood laundry? And he's like, well, my mom's washer and dryer broke. And he's like, oh, so that's you're a really sweet something if you're helping your mom out like that. And, and then he's like, well, it's also my washer and dryer. She's like, oh, yeah, because, you know, you still live at home with yeah. your mom, which, again... In the 21st century, we've kind of like normalized that a little bit, unless you're like over 40 mm-hmm. and then you still feel judgmental about people living with their parents in their 20s. But just, in the 70s. I mean, in the 70s, but it was still more common. The, yeah. Then like, there was just this huge boom in like the mid 80s to like mid 2000s where it was like, oh, you're over 20. Why the fuck are you living at home? Yeah. But uh, it's a very good scene. And then he's eventually like, look, if you give me your phone number. I'll write you a song. And she's like, how many girls does that pickup line work on? He's like, well, let me know. This will be my first time trying it. I, I, I want to believe it is his first time trying it. I think it is just from here how awkward he's being. Oh, yeah. He's normally just being like, hey, yeah, I'm Billy Dunn. It's probably like. Yeah, I feel like that normally works for him. So he had to come up with something else. This time she's like, oh, I don't even know who Billy Dunn is. God, it's such a good scene. It's so much yeah. fun. And then we cut to adult Eddie from the Dumb Brothers or Daisy Jones in the Six. And he's like, he explains kind of that he w- he'd been friends with Camilla for a very long time. And that like everybody loved Camilla. Camilla was a great person. And it is very obvious here that he was slash is still infatuated with Camilla. Yeah, he's just like, even back then, you couldn't help but falling in love with her. Nobody could. Yeah, like. But from here, we kind of just see that she's hanging out with the band. She goes to practice with them. She was recording them, takes pictures and such. 
a lot of her footage ends up being used for this documentary. Yeah, definitely. And then we see her inviting Billy to her house for dinner. Yeah, and like her parents obviously don't like him very much. Because... No, no, her parents aren't bad with him at first. Yeah, because he works at the steel mill and like. And then they're asking like what he plans to do in the future and like what like what he likes to do. And Camilla's like, well, it's like they, they didn't even ask what he plans to do in the future initially yeah. because like in their minds, steel, yeah, steel, steel mill, mill is like a lifelong Camilla job. Camilla mentions that he's a musician. Well, no, he first mentions like, oh, it's it's just a temporary thing. I'm not going to be the steel mill forever. And they're like, oh, so what do you plan on doing? And then Camilla's like, oh, he's a musician. And then Camilla's father just like stone face sets in and he's just like, uh-huh. Like, so here's the thing. I don't know if this is like, okay, so the show, I don't like the show is aesthetically set in the 70s. I don't yeah. know if this is like, because in two, in, when I was in high school, nobody would have, nobody, nobody would have been like, oh yeah, I'm in a band because anybody could be in a band. It's like mm-hmm. in 2023, I'm never like, oh yeah, I have a podcast because oh i am all the time everybody has a podcast it's like you're like oh i have a podcast nobody's like oh yeah what's it about everybody's like oh yeah you like a mid-20s white guy of course you have a podcast Mm -hmm. nobody questions it just like when you're in high school you're like an 18 19 year old with like any type of alternative sensibilities at all and you're like oh yeah i'm in a band nobody was ever like oh yeah what's your band like yeah what i'm saying is he could just shut up and be like oh yeah i work the still mill yeah like there was no need for him to be like oh yeah i also have a band i mean yeah, he, but I mean, he just said it was temporary. Camilla's kind of the one that threw him on the bus there. I mean, he didn't even say it was temporary. Yeah, he, he didn't have to. Like, like, I get I that point. Still no, no, I get that point, but I'm saying like, he didn't bring up the music. It was his girlfriend who threw him under the bus of that part. Just just like, I work at the steel mill, like, leave it at that. Like, if she's like, oh yeah, he also plays in a band or he makes music, be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, no, that's just a side thing I'm doing. Like, I, I like music. Yeah. Like, underplay it, dude. Can't do that. No, yeah, he can't do that. No, he, I mean, I mean, for this show slash genre that exists or anything talking about music in the 70s or 80s but also you be- can't do that also because because of who billy dunn is as a character yeah 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 he could never do that sure like as a character i mean i i disagree with that i think he could no he's his first his first conversation with camilla, with camilla is like oh yeah i'm in a band mm-hmm. there's no way he, he, could, he could turn down that opportunity no he definitely could no yeah anyways after the dinner at her house we cut to them heading to Chuck's garage for band practice. Unless there was more about the dinner you wanted to say. Sorry. Nope. Um, and Chuck doesn't have the garage open for practice or anything. He's just sitting on the stairs. And everyone's just like, bro, what the fuck? And he's like, so um, I got accepted into college. And they're like, you applied to college? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And uh, I'm going to go to college to be a dentist. And they're like, uh, what about the band? None of us were serious about the band, guys. Like, what the fuck? You all knew this. Which is well, because at one point, they definitely were not serious with the band. But after that wedding, it like... Yeah. Yeah. The band actively agreed after that wedding. They were serious about being a band. As a group, they agreed to that. Yeah. Chucky missed that, like, note there. Was unaware that they were all actually being serious. He's like, oh, cool, we're in high spirits that one. But sure, we're going to be the best fucking band ever, guys. Yeah, obviously. Is this what it takes to make you feel better about the fact that you held your dad and he just got, I'm cool, guys. Yeah, I'll agree. And so they all get upset and they're getting ready to leave. And they have a concert coming up soon, though. Yeah, they're opening for, like, actual, the winters. like, yeah, a touring act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the fuck are we going to do? And then Billy's face lights up with an idea and he turns around, slaps Eddie on the chest and is just like, Eddie, you're on bass now. You're not doing lead and singing anymore you're on bass and eddie's just like okay for how long and they're all just like thanks man and they all pile into the van um fun fact from what we've seen eddie remains the bassist for daisy and the six from the time that it's the dunn brothers all the way through daisy 1977 Jones in yeah. october mm-hmm. which i feel so bad for him because like as somebody who has played bass music yeah for a good portion of their music playing life Unless you, like, actively choose to be a bassist, and I don't mean just, like, a bass guitarist, but, like, 
a bass play bass music of any yeah. sort bass parts it really feels like you're getting relegated to like the simplest stuff yeah because a lot of music isn't written with bass in mind god no and so it's like just chuggy quarters or chuggy mm-hmm. 16ths or like on the beats hey, especially for rock at that time yeah i feel really bad because like he, he's going from playing like guitar Technical stuff. Really technical stuff. You know, I mean, that's what he was practicing. He was practicing technical shit. Yeah. To being a bassist. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's nothing wrong with being a bassist. I love my bass guitar. Yeah. I would argue bass is much more fun. But it does feel like a kind of step down, especially, like... If it's not willing. In the modern... Like, in that era of rock music. Like, 70s mm-hmm. and 80s and shit. And then from that appointment of Eddie to bass guitar, we get back to Daisy, and we see her with her boyfriend... Who has just found out she can fucking sing like no other person because she's in the shower. He walks in while she's singing. She's singing some songs. She's singing it really well. And then... In her defense, most people sound better, better in the shower. Better in the shower, yes, because the acoustics of the shower are like one of the best places you can find in the normal house. Yes. But also, she's like legitimately a good mm-hmm. singer, so... He compliments her. She's kind of puts it off and like ignores does, it. Does he compliment her? Oh, he, he compliments her on her singing. Yeah, yeah, he compliments her on her singing. You've got pipes is what he's mm-hmm. saying. And then he goes back to her bedroom and starts going through her shit. Her, yeah, her songbook. And starts singing her song and trying to put it to music. And she comes out and she's like, oh, that's not how that goes. After he's like, oh, this is some pretty good stuff. And I, she's he, like, no. He doesn't say it's pretty good stuff. He says it's not half bad. Yeah. Which is like. Different, the, yes. It's, it's the like literal dividing line between like, it's almost a compliment. But it's not really. Yeah. So she sings the way it's supposed to be saying. He tells her to repeat it. She says no. He's like, come on. And she eventually tells him to get his own music. Uh, he doesn't. We cut to Daisy as an adult. And she's like, stumbled on Sublime, which is the name of the song you're singing, was at the top of the charts for four weeks. And I just let him take that song. And she's like, and that's why meeting Simone was such an eye opener. I'm glad I met her when, she, when I did because it changed my entire life. Simone Jackson disco pioneer we see simone jackson now as an adult she is part of the interview process mm-hmm. and the interviewer is like so daisy jones says you basically changed her life how'd you guys meet or something like that and yeah she's like well daisy knew daisy was everywhere yeah we met at this party after a show i played at performed at mm-hmm. and we get their backstory they meet at this at this party they hit it off yeah daisy's telling simone i don't know why you're fucking singing back up you're so much fucking better than the person you're backing up it's bullshit um that's kind of it like we see simone have a fight with the person she's doing back vocal backing vocals for they go, and then they go to back they go back to simone's house and mm-hmm. listen to music and talk about music and yeah. like why this specific album that singer songwriter put out is mm-hmm. so important in their like catalog because yeah. it's the first album that they chose to perform on instead of just write the music for and like maybe we don't get that part yet i thought that was here no that's later but i mean it's basically that's fine because after here we go okay yeah you're you're right i skipped ahead a couple of scenes mm. it's just this scene flows very diegetically into the, the next scene yeah we're just not focusing that much on daisy's life really with her relationship with simone we there's that. also a little bit more in between mm-hmm. with daisy's life before simone but we cut back to the dunn brothers yes and they are just now getting ready to open for the band the winters which is a new band mm-hmm. but my biggest problem with this is so they go to open for the winters but they are getting on the stage at the time the winters are leaving the stage oh yeah i, did, I didn't clock that and because Graham Graham sees the the keyboardist for the winters and is like immediately infatuated and he asks her if she's going to stick around to watch their set she's just like now nah, i'm gonna get some food do you have any suggestions and he's like oh uh, well i guess you know actually i think i figured it out in my, in my mm-hmm. brain because the, there wasn't like a crowded room yet no there were people there, there were people but i think winners were actually like just doing like checks the way it presents it one they the people coming off the stage look sweaty and like they've just performed maybe it was just a 
weird moment where like why is your opener going on after your main band and also your openers almost always do your soundtrack before your main band also why is the tour manager for the band mm-hmm. here after mm-hmm. yeah why is the tour manager yep. for the winner still around after uh-huh the dunn brothers performance yeah that's weird i didn't clock that mm-hmm. the dunn brothers open for the winters and we see that grab is infatuated with the keyboardist from the winters and she says she's just gonna go get food but she doesn't she goes back out into the crowd where she's hanging out with her touring manager who seems fairly interested in the winters which after their set we learn he is they're pretty good and he's giving them advice about things now fairly interested in the dunn brothers yeah not the winters i would hope he's interested. i hope he's interested in the band he's the touring manager for but after that he is seen talking with the dunn brothers mainly billy yeah he like, seems to be one he's interested in he's like well you gotta write your own stuff man yeah the touring manager is played by timothy oliphant and honestly they have him like wig and makeup enough that mm-hmm. if you didn't know it's timothy oliphant you might like mistake that, him for not timothy oliphant that is of course until we see him in their current time yeah in the present time he looks like timothy oliphant yeah he does in the 70s he does he not. does not not at all they try to de-age him 20 years yeah without using like because we see that the reason why we see Rod Ray as their tour manager, Timmy Elephant, in the modern day is he's talking about the reason why he was interested in them. And he's like, look, I can just see talent. Like, you, you can t- see talent when you when it's there. You can take any band. You, you, can, take- you can take any person and then any band and put Mick Jagger in that band. And they'll be able to tell you, that's the guy with talent. Yeah. He specifically says in a lineup, you can take yeah. any person and then put Mick Jagger in a lineup. A random person can tell you, that's the dude with talent. Yeah. And he's saying that's, that was how he felt about Billy Dunn. Yeah. So he's talking with the Dunn brothers, mainly Billy, about how like their performance was good, but they got to make their own shit. And honestly, if they really want to get a record deal, they have to get the fuck out of Pittsburgh. They got to they get to L.A. That's where everyone is nowadays. Not London or New York. Because he does like this accent when he like says each place. Yeah. And then like, he's like, but you got to be in California. Yeah. So from there, we kind of just see it's a bit strung out more, but the band's just like, well, we got to go to California. Are we going to go to California? Of course, we're going to go to California. And then Billy tries to talk Camilla into going. She's just like, my family's here. Like, I'm I going can't. to school. I'm, I have a job. I can't just drop everything for yeah. a boy. And he's like, a boy? What do you mean? And she's like, well, what is that besides what we have here? Like, what is that? So we see her at home crying with her mother because she doesn't want to leave. And her mom's like, well, you can't. Your family's here. And then Camilla makes the realization of like, well, I mean, you left your entire family behind because her mother is a assumedly a first generation Spanish immigrant of some sort. And when she says that, you see her mother's eyes like kind of darken, like, oh, f- fuck and then we cut to the guys and the dumb brothers all getting their van getting ready to leave and then camilla runs up it's raining so it's dramatic it is dramatic because of the rain and mm-hmm. also because the guy in the driver's seat don't know if it's chuck i believe it should be warren because chuck's well, no longer yeah, in the band oh yeah and eddie is outside and graham's also there so. yeah so it's gotta be warren and warren's sitting in the driver's seat he goes guys we gotta get a move on it's getting dark it's like why are you leaving on your road trip at night like that doesn't make sense to me well they've scheduled it for like immediately after everyone's last paycheck so they can milk it as long as possible look guys the we, least amount of wasted paycheck possible we, we all get paid on next friday so after we get off work on friday we're just gonna go just no gonna chance go. to spend money fucking like we already have all the shit we can steal from our parents places it's all packed in the van the moment the last one of us catches their fucking paycheck, we're going. Yeah, so Camilla joins them, and Billy's obviously delighted, but, like, Eddie's... Eddie's like, 
oh cool that's that's good we then cut to daisy again mm-hmm. she hasn't quite had the like heart to heart with simone yet i think that happens in the second episode actually yeah so she's at a gas station getting gas and she hears over the radio stumbled on sublime yes yeah and she gets pissed off yeah and you know actually i it, I do think it's somewhere in this episode, actually, that she has her, like, bit with Simone. I just don't remember where it is. You might have been right with where it was. Oh, I feel like it happens after her breakup here with Gary. Because... Same. So I think it might happen, like, here-ish. But, he... so, we see her with a new boyfriend, Gary. Gary. He's a, He's a script he... writer. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of ranting about her day. And she's like, well, you see, I woke up I woke up and took a benzo. So if I just had a coffee, I'd be, I'd be super wired all day. So if I have a coffee and a Chardonnay, they kind of balance each other out, you know, a little upper and a little downer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, that's good. I'll use that in a script someday. She's just like, what the fuck? Who said, I, who said you could do that? And she's like, well, you're just like my muse, you know? She's like, I don't want to be your fucking muse. I don't want to be anybody's muse. I want to be the somebody. And then he's like, oh, yeah, you're the somebody. Ha ha, laugh, just starts laugh, laughing. Laugh. So she shoves him and gets in her car. And she just leaves his ass, which is yeah. the best. I hope she was his ride. Same. I hope he rode with her. Because, like, like when she first expresses this idea of being like, hey, no, like, what if I want to use that line? What if I want to do something? He, like, writes her up. But the start of this conversation is not like she immediately blows up on him. She's like, hey, it's kind of, like, presumptuous and dickish to assume that I don't want to do something or I'm not capable of doing something. But, like, the more he's a dick about it, obviously, the more angry she gets. But, like, it's not like she immediately blew up on him. She's like, tried to have a rational conversation. And the guy was just an asshole. So it's even more fun to watch him get fucked up for being a sexist asshole yes yes but i think it's somewhere around here that she has her little heart to heart with simone and they're just talking about stuff and simone's just like well then why the fuck aren't you up there on stage performing music because they're talking about the artist whose best album was the album where she made all the songs for herself like she'd written songs for the people but didn't let anyone perform some of the, any of the ones on this album she has here because they were her songs and simone's just like yeah that's a lot like you isn't it so my real question is why the fuck are you in the crowd and not up there on stage yeah so and i th- think the episode basically ends here yeah because it ends with them on the bus in there in their van heading mm-hmm. towards la so yeah that's the well, end it actually of them getting into la because we end she sings a song at a bar on a piano because she had to know if like if she, she had the ability because yeah. And then when she leaves the bar, their van goes past because so much of this first episode is the passing moments between Daisy Jones and what will soon be the six. So I'm going to go ahead and like there is an online role playing game community called Role Players Guild. It's for like play by post role playing games. And you and I had a game on there with some friends called Contracted. Mm, Nope. No idea what you're talking about. Which was set in like a modern aesthetics, but it was about like a rock band forming. And part of the idea was like they all had tiny connections with each other throughout their life before they ever made a band together. Yep. At the very least tiny connections. They were all interconnected in some way. And that really feels like Daisy Jones and the Six a little bit. Yes. Because the amount of times they'll they'll literally walk past each other without knowing it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's see end of episode one. So what are your thoughts? Come on and get show it. After episode one, would you watch more? Yeah. First, I like... I want to say I, I, I love the 70s and 80s, like, rock, especially, like, su- the strip. Yeah. Like, I do. I think it's one of the best times in, like, the history of music. Like, as a music fan, being on the strip during that those two decades, watching bands like Zeppelin and The Who, like... And The Doors... Like, not as headliners necessarily, but like opening mid card or openers. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's wild. It's such a wild time in the history. Like, and especially like the late 70s, early 80s, where like all the bands knew each other. Yeah. See, like, it was almost like gang war style shit going on yeah, yeah. between these bands. Like, see, so I think I can agree with that. That is a great vibe. But I think. We are on different different opinions on what would be the cooler slash more enjoyable scene to have been part of when it was coming up. You obviously want to have experienced the 70s or 80s rock scene. I would like the late 80s going into the 90s fucking New York, New Jersey punk scene 
that fucking blew up. Like, yeah, that's just, my style of vibe and shit. Like, honestly, yours was probably safer. More drugs, but safer in the long run. <laughs> like, that's a, that's the only thing that I, like, I never even, like, actively bring up. He's like, it's such a passy thing about, like, if you could go back and, like, be living in any yeah. decades. It's like, not only were the 70s and 80s, like, the time to be a fan of rock music if you were in L- L.A., yeah. but, like, also all the drugs were so much safer and cleaner than they are yeah. today. Like, 50 years ago, you didn't have to worry about fentanyl being laced in your cocaine. Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't a worry. You just had to, honestly, you were you were more worried about somebody lacing your cocaine with baking soda or baking powder. Yeah, or accidentally taking masculine when you didn't intend to take masculine. Yeah, like, but, like still not dying from but it. Those were your worries, not, oh, shit, does my coke have fentanyl in it am i gonna die because there's a little bit of fentanyl in my coke i don't do coke so i don't know if fen- fentanyl goes in coke right like i know like everything put it in everything okay i, I, I know it's like it- cumin it works well in most dishes <laughs> it's like cumin yeah but so the fact that it's capturing that 70s 80s aesthetic very well especially through daisy jones's character mm-hmm. in this first episode i love it also i really like the feeling of this like documentary style show even though it's all fictitious so you like the office no i think that's because the office is supposed to be a documentary about workplaces and workplaces suck are they use shaky cam and i hate shaky cam whereas this is a documentary about an alternative mm-hmm. job lifestyle rather than an office job i really enjoyed this episode and i really would be interested in watching more of the show the music's good but i really enjoy the characters and like the setting mm-hmm. a lot how about yourself I would agree. I really like the way the show is shaping up so far. Yeah, obviously the scene's great. The way they've set it up, the way they've captured it is really good. I think a thing that would be really easy to overlook in this show, given the fact that it's doing a, a documentary style, it's focusing on music, it's focusing on the 70s and 80s, so we have a lot of set dressing and stuff. Is, I think a thing that would be really easy to overlook is the filmography, which I think they do really, really well. It has a lot of, like this is going to sound weird, but it has a lot of what I would think of as like camera work from like the 70s and 80s. Like a lot of like the framing that they set up feels very 70s. 80s and 80s like movie stylizing for like how we would place this camera or how we would shoot this shot but they still mix it with a more modern aesthetic for how we want to work a camera especially in more what i would say are natural scenes we want to feel more natural and then they still do more cinematic things like in the bar they move the camera around the back side of the piano which we can't actually do because it's a piano like right up next to a wall but we use that and focus in on that to kind of haze out the rest of the bar as we watch daisy leave but then we have shots that feel like they would fit in with like the way fast times are Ridgemont High was shot or like the way 16 Candles was shot or the way The Breakfast Club was shot like it's really nice and then here and there because it's a documentary we get the oh these are footage this is footage we have from just their actual life and stuff that's shot really well and despite being the equivalent of found footage we don't do it fucking shaky cam style and that's automatically better what's wrong with shaky cam i hate it and it should die what's wrong with found footage films they're bad almost always and have bad plot and are always shaky cam and should die yeah so i think we both in agreement after episode one watch more daisy jones of the six yes and that takes us to episode two entitled episode two track two i'll take you but where there. are they gonna take them they're already in la where are they gonna go now I don't have an answer for you. You don't? Because I, mean, I have an answer for you. Okay. They're going to take them to success where they're going to go in the business because one of the first things that the Dumb Brothers do here, literally we start the scene with them trying to approach Rod Reyes, tour manager. I love this. He was the villain knocks on his door, Rod answers. It's sometime in the morning. They buzz on the door because he's living or in an apartment complex or is staying in a very nice motel. It's hard to tell. And Rod answers. It's sometime in the morning because he's like still like in his pajamas, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Billy's like, hey, you said to give you a call. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, I did, but you didn't do that. You just showed up. 
I think this is actually Rod's house because like it. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's his house. Maybe it doesn't read as a house to me. Like the first time I watched it, yes. The second time I watched it, I read it much more like a motel. No, it's like a, a house. nice motel. It's a house. Either way, though, we I did miss one thing. The episode doesn't actually start with Rod. It starts with an excerpt from a interview, assumedly during the height of or just after. It was 1982 or 83, mm-hmm. so it's after with the- Teddy Price and Merv Griffin on the Merv Griffin show. I don't know who Merv Griffin is. Mm, I just remember that was the show, so I believe it's a late night talk show, roughly from that time. It might be parodying a different one that I can't remember the name of, but whatever. And it's just talking about how Teddy Price apparently became a father figure to the band or members of the band. So we get an introduction to this guy who we are going. Who we are told is going to be important. And then we do the Rodriguez thing. The Merv Griffin show was real. I thought it Merv was. Merv Griffin was a real person. I thought it was. I just wasn't completely certain, so I wasn't going to say anything about it. It ran from 1962 to 1986, and this interview takes place in 1982 or 83. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. But yeah, they go to talk to Rod, and they get there, and he's like, okay, well, what can I do? And they, they list this whole smorgasbord of things. They're like, well, obviously, we're going to need shows on the strip. We're going to need a place to stay. And like... Some we- oh, money in advance to like buy food and stuff. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, we'd really like to record with Teddy Price. A sit down with Teddy Price. Mm-hmm. Like, and he goes, oh, is is that going to be all then? And they're like, yeah, we think so. And he goes, you guys are fucking stupid. You can't just show up here asking for handouts. That's not that's not how this works. And they're like, we're not asking for handouts. We'll we're willing to put it. in the hard work for it. And it's just like, no, it's I still, mean, you might be willing to put in the hard work, but you're still, still asking, asking for handouts. Yeah. And he's like, look, here's what if I can do for the, you. If you're the band I remember... You guys are pretty nice. Set. It, was, it was pretty good. So I'll do you one thing. I I'll call my guy over at Filthies. Um, like Filthies is that on the sh- is that a club on the strip? And he's like, it's, it's more of a bar, but it is on the strip. And I'll give him a call and see how that works. That's all I can do for you. So as like the band gets up to leave, Graham goes, "Oh, actually, I have one more thing." Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets Karen's number from. Yeah, it's not explicitly stated, but we cut immediately to see where he's calling Karen. Yeah, they're on a they're on a pay. The entire band is standing around a payphone and. And Graham calls Karen and he's like trying to ask her to join the band, but he's very, very bad about it. So Billy takes over and he's like, look, join our band. And she's like in Pittsburgh. He's like, no, uh." we're in LA now. And then we cut to present day Karen and she's like, so my mother always told me not to put roots down in bad earth and the winners bad earth. (laughs) Yeah. So she's talking with Billy and she seems to be fairly convinced, but she tells Billy to put on Camilla and she just straight up asks Camilla, are they fucking worth it? Camilla's just like, I wouldn't be here if they weren't. So Karen agrees to join the band. Mm -hmm. Also, I really like Karen's last name, Circo. It's a good name. It's a good Mm -hmm. name. Karen Circo. S-I-R-K-O. Good name. I like it. Yeah. So then we cut to Simone and she's just apparently heading back home. She hears a bunch of sound coming from her apartment. So she like creeps in ready to deal with whatever the fucking issue is. She grabs like one of those tall like candles. Mm-hmm. I don't want you imagining like oh, just plain candlestick, but like one of those candles in the tall glass containers, mm-hmm. like a prayer candle. Yeah, yeah. They're called prayer candles. Sometimes, but yes. And she's like holding it with both hands. And then Daisy walks out in the kitchen and she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? You just broke into my place. And Daisy's like, no, I used the key that was in the plant by your door. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? And Daisy's like making food. He said you needed a roommate. Well, no, like that's not exactly what happens. If you get to say your dialogue, you enjoy it. I get to use the okay. dialogue I enjoy. Okay. Daisy's just like, yeah, it smells great, right? Like so good. You'd want to smell it forever and have me cook it for you. Like every day when you 
get home. And then someone's just like, you left your parents' place, didn't you? And Daisy's like, yeah, I couldn't stay there anymore. And then Daisy's like, you said you were looking for a roommate. And she eventually agrees to pay half the rent, get a job, pay the rent. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how that scene works out. I, I just appreciated the fact of like, well, I mean, I'm so great at cooking. Fun fact as the scene ends, she's horrible at fucking cooking. And this was a bad agreement on Simone's part. We then cut to Camilla. Mm-hmm, that's all they're saying, it, yes. And Camilla is talking about this house they bought in Laurel Canyon. Mm-hmm. And like, it may have been run down and a little shitty. And a woman may have just died in it a couple weeks ago. But it was their house. And they bought it. And like, my first thought is, damn, six teenagers and young 20-somethings could buy a house in LA? Yeah. With just like the money they scrapped together? That shit's wild, but also it's the 70s. But yeah. I mean, also, I'd like to point out that like Laurel Canyon was like pretty nice like area to be in uh, around the time of the 70s. Yeah, it's the canyons. Like I'm aware. I mean, yeah, but we were talking about like in the 70s, members of like the Doors lived there. Frank Zappa lived there. Like musical icons for that time period were living in that area. So they got a good house in an area that was very like important to what they were trying to do at that time. Mm-hmm. I was talking to them for oh, people yeah. who know nothing about Laurel Canyon. Fair enough. Like that's the amount of my knowledge to it and while we're getting camilla telling us about this house karen shows up to find it in complete disarray mm-hmm. uh the guys from the dunn brothers are playing pirates grandma's in his underwear and like completely embarrassed by this girl he has a crush on showing up while he's just running around in his underwear playing at being a pirate understandable but also own your shit man own it <laughs> you know it's not your fault she just walked in like she didn't fucking knock bro like obviously like you invited her to live here with you guys and, like, be a part of the yeah. band. But, like, obviously when you first get to a place, if people are already there... You knock. You knock. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the right thing to do. It, I mean, if it's a private residence. You don't obviously, like, show up to Walmart and knock on the door. Yeah. Although that would be funny. I'm going to start <laughs> doing that. <laughs> so she just, like, laughs and continues up towards the rooms with Camilla and Billy. Because Billy's not doing that shit. And she no, gets... it's, it's, Billy is too serious to have fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's too serious and too much of a drunk to have fun. Yeah. So she gets an actual room because it's apparently where the old lady died and no one wanted the room. Because it's haunted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Camilla's like, it's not haunted. But all the guys are like, oh, it, it, it's haunted. Yeah. It's honestly not a bad house. Like from what we see of it, we don't see a lot of it in these in this episode. But it's not that bad of a house. So I'm like, eh. She, Karen here mentions that she doesn't have a good impression of the band. Yeah. But she goes along with it as they become like this permanent fixture at Filthy McNasty's on the Strip, which I don't think is an actual place, but also sounds like it would be an actual place on the Strip in the 70s. Wildly, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I recognize the name and that it might be a real place. Oh, no, I recognize it because it's a song. Filthy Mm. Filthy McNasty is a song by Horace Silver. Okay. It's also a bar in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm. I might be referencing that. Like, maybe someone had something to do with the bar. Someone from production liked the bar or some shit. Who knows? I I have no idea. But, so yeah, they become a basically permanent fixture at Filthy McNasty's for about eight to nine months. Yeah, Billy, in his interview segments, like, there wasn't a lot of people showing up, but we spent about nine months playing on a mostly nightly basis. But- you know like they didn't really do a lot for us like career-wise but that is where we kind of became the band we are like that's when we all kind of gelled together and became what we would be as the six yeah and then we get like a scene of the band sitting around the table and camilla's like like they're complaining because they haven't gone anywhere and camilla's like yeah well i've been sending photos to newspapers and 
companies yeah, and like we see a brief thing where they're we see a montage basically them performing and camilla is like calling people up trying to get them to come check them out and like sending photos to newspapers for her trying to get a job as a photo as a photographer so she is meanwhile trying to get her own job and also acting in like a yeah. weird manager role space for them and she's like i've been sending pictures to newspapers for months but you don't see me giving up yeah and this is also where the band changes their name mm-hmm. yeah because they're all sitting around and they're kind of just complaining about shit. And there's this one brief line that's like just thrown away where they're kind of just complaining anymore. It's like, I don't know what you guys are complaining about. I'm the only one in the house who doesn't have a bed. Because he actively chose not to take the haunted room. So he just doesn't have a bed in the house. The best part, like, I, it's not the best part. But he is the only person of color in the band. Mm-hmm. Like, all the white all the white people have beds. But the person of color, nah. Sleeping on the floor. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it kind of fits with the fact that he's the drummer, and the drummer usually gets the short end of the stick in, like, any rock and roll story every that you ever hear. It's, the drummer's always kind of the one that gets fucked over. It's either the drummer or the bass that gets fucked over. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but, yeah, so they're, they're sitting at, like, a cafe-style restaurant, mm-hmm. and... I wouldn't Ca- call it a cafe. It feels more like a family diner to me. Fair enough. And Camilla is counting the money, and mm-hmm. as she finishes counting, she looks at Graham, and she's like, you should save some of that toast, because we, we barely have enough to cover rent. And he starts shoving slices of toast in his shirt pocket. Yeah, they're eating pocket toast. Pocket toast. Um, so they start talking about the band name, though, and Billy's just like, we're not changing the name. That's what well, people know well, us yeah, by. Yeah, because Karen's like... Why are we still the Dunn Brothers? Three, three of us aren't a Dunn, and I'm not a brother to anyone. Yeah. And, and then, like you said, Billy's like, we're not changing the band name. That's what people know us by. And then... Eddie is confrontational. Like, there's a lot of good that does us. No one knows us. And Graham is like... We could do Hercules. Hercules is still an option. Yeah. And then Warren suggests immaculate reception and is immediately shut down by Karen. And then... Uh, Billy says, look, no, the six of us are never going to agree on a name. It's not not yet. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so Warren has the Hercules. No, Graham has Hercules. Warren Graham, has immaculate reception. And so it's Eddie that has... Where he's like, I don't know we could be called just like he starts literally a bunch of single word names but ends mm. with poison yeah yeah yeah. and then billy has the i think warren has both the immaculate reception and that one i think eddie's just kind of saying they're not doing anything because warren seems to be the one that just says ridiculous stuff uh eddie's the one with the pocket toast that's right warren mm. yeah i confused them in my plate yeah, my yeah, mind yeah. at the scene warren the was the one sitting farther towards mm. the camera and Billy's like, well, look, the six of us are never going to agree on anything. And Karen's like, that would work. The six, that sounds cool. And Eddie's like, there's only five of us. And then Karen and Camilla share Camilla. Mm. I'm sorry. I like. You I, know I always the, have subtitles You on. know the two L's can make a Y sound and your brain's just like, that seems weird. Also, she's Hispanic. It should yeah. be Camilla. And they also call her Cammy. You wouldn't call yeah. Camilla Cammy. Yeah, you do all the fucking time, bud. No, you call Camilla Cammy. Because... No, Camilla's get called Cammy all the fucking time. Anyways. Nicknames are dumb. Camilla... And Karen share a glance because, like, mm. she, Camilla isn't in the band. But, I mean, she does so much for the band. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Graham's like, well, there's only five of us. And then Eddie goes, we can't be the five, though. And Graham goes, why not? And he goes, the Jackson Five, so on and so forth. There's a couple different five the- bands. And he's like, everybody's yeah. five. And then Graham goes, you know, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. And then Warren's on board. Warren's reply is, well, it's better than Hercules. Yeah. And like the person who seemed the most put off by it was Billy, who was also the one who was including his girlfriend in the conversation. Mm-hmm. I make the statement of the six of us can never agree, which implies she is part of the agreement for the band name, but not important enough to be involved in 
making the band name decision when it's not in his favor. Yeah. Yeah. Like he said the six of us will never agree because he's like, well, if we do have to like have six of us agree, it's me, my girlfriend and my brother yeah. against three other people. And then he loses and that probably hurt his ego. Yeah. Because Billy is. Yeah. But while they are finishing up their argument, we hear someone yelling, Daisy, where are you going? You still have 10 minutes left. And we see Daisy walk past them, throw off her apron because she's working as a waitress at this restaurant. And then we see her over at the Troubadour. Yeah, she's standing to the side of the stage mm-hmm. while Simone performs. Yeah, Simone is performing the second song from her album, and then she introduces Daisy, and Daisy comes on stage and performs a song. It's just a nice moment. Song's all right. After the song... But it does catch the ear of one Teddy Price in the audience. Yeah, and after the song, Simone introduces her to Teddy Price, and Teddy's like, I'd like to give you my card. I'd like to record an album and do some music. You're pretty good, but like, you, you need some shaping. I, th- I feel like I need to shape you. And she, her big thing is like, why do I need you to make music? Like, yeah, I don't want to be shaped. She I be seems, to, in this initial reaction interaction, to think he is hitting on her. Yeah, a little bit. And like, she has... like. In her defense, she even mentions this later. I think mm-hmm. it's later in this episode. She's like, I've had producers and men act like they wanted my music when that's not what they wanted at all. Yeah. And he's like... And can- people have used me for their own gain, like the boyfriends in the first two episodes. And, but we then see Teddy now being interviewed. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't think it. First time I actually said no. And the interviewer's just like, wait, what? She, she, tur- she turned you down. Yeah, because Teddy Price is famous yes we he's, had a, saw... he's, had a, he's had a series of failures recently yeah. like we see a scene like just before we see them at the diner mm-hmm. where teddy's being kind of ish chewed out by his boss but not really his boss is just like teddy it's been like what six bands that haven't done anything like they haven't worked out she's like they've worked they just haven't sold and, and his boss is like that's, that's what, what matters out. teddy that's what working out means it means they sold look teddy dean martin wants to record a christmas album just take the easy job and do it teddy obviously says no we don't see him say nobody obviously does given the fact that he's now doing all this yep and so graham and billy are at a convenience store um Mm -hmm. billy's in actually in the convenience store and graham's sitting out in the van and we see a car pull up and a guy get out it's very shadowed somehow graham realizes that this is teddy price entering the store so as billy comes out graham is like freaking out trying to get billy's attention he's like teddy price just went in and I, ha- I have a question, though. Yeah. Um, it is of no importance. Mm-hmm. I'd like to preface that. Billy is coming out carrying a case of alcohol. Understandable. There are six people in the house. Case of alcohol. Fine. I thought it was just a bottle of alcohol. No, it's like a case. You can see several bottles. Okay. And then he has three different packages of four things of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. They are all different colors. And I'm just trying to figure out. In the 70s, was well, there not a more economical pricing or bundling solution here? Also, did the colors mean different things? So I'm just curious here. You've got six different people in this house. They're, they're, they're within the band. They all have competing brands that they use because everyone has like that one brand of toilet paper. That they're just like, look, I never make a big deal about it. Like, I have my go to toilet paper. Everyone has their go to toilet paper. Yeah, it's Cottonelle Ultra Strong. That's the yeah. best toilet paper on the market. I will like hit somebody with an RKO if they disagree. I mean, I like the, I don't remember the name of the brand, but it's a giant fucking roll. It's one ply. It's super cheap through distributors. You're lying. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes that. Yeah, I am. It's fucking horrible. It shouldn't uh, exist. No. But Billy, like, holding this stuff is, like, trying to decide what to do. Like, turn around and go talk and to Griff's just like, put it in the car and go back in. So he gets the stuff put in the in the van and then manages to catch Teddy Price on his way out of the convenience store. And he essentially gives him, hey, 
I love your stuff. I love your insert least well-known album here. And Terry's like, oh, thanks. Not a lot of people know that. The the good old, hey, I'm not like other fans. I'm a true fan. I know all your shit. Um, and then Teddy's like, okay, cool, cool. Thanks, bro. And, and then he's then, like, I'm in a band. And Teddy's like, of course you well, fucking are. No, like, Billy versus like, you and I forget who else he said are the reason I started playing guitar. He's like, okay, okay. Then, well, you're starting to make me feel a bit uncomfortable. And then Billy, Teddy tries to leave and Billy's like, I'm in a band. And he's like, there it is. He's extremely frustrated. You can't just get a compliment for my work. Yeah, basically. Always got, always got some sub... And then Billy's begging him, just like, listen to them one song, just give them one chance. Look, if I were you and some random kid approached me on the street and was like, I'm in a band, I would also be like, go away. But I'd be making a mistake, just like you are. So Teddy's eventually just like, you know you only got one shot at this, right? And Billy's just like, yeah, I do. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's kind of the end of the scene. Billy gives... uh Teddy, Teddy gives, gives them a card. card. Yeah. He gets back in the van. Billy and Graham freak out because mm-hmm. they have Teddy Price's card. And then they we cut to Billy back at the house with Camilla. Yep. And Billy's like, I don't know what we're going to play. We get None one of our songs. songs are good enough. They're all shit. And Camilla's just like, you have nothing. And, and Billy's like, like, well, there's this one song we're working on. But it's not great. There's also a moment here where he finishes drinking his alcohol, which is not like a beer or anything. Like it looks a, like a whiskey. It looks like a bottle of whiskey. He's like, oh, she's like, where are you going? Because he gets up and grabs the car mm-hmm. keys. And he's like, I'm going to go get more. And she's like, no, you're not. Sit back down. Sit back down. Play a fucking song. They're going to solve this. Yeah. And so he's like, well, we have this one song. And she's like, well, play, play it. it. And it's about ba- it's a ballad. Mm-hmm. She likes it. And then we cut to the band. Sil- Silver Nail is the name yeah. of the song. Yep. We cut to the band setting it up and they're all just like, wait, we're going to do the fucking ballad? Like, that's fucked up. We don't see the band, actually. We see Teddy walking down the hall. Yeah, and the band's talking. Not talking. They are arguing about yeah. the song they're performing. Because yeah. they're all they're like, well, we could do this or that. And Billy's just like, no, we're doing the ballad. And the others are like, you're a fucking idiot. So they start into Silver Nail and then we cut back to that interview, mm-hmm. the talk show. And uh, Teddy's like, they blew me away. Well, no. We see Billy first. And Billy's like, people think we played one song for Teddy Price. And got a record deal. And he just gave us a deal. He made us work for it. He made us work our ass off. And then they got to Teddy and he's like, what can I say? They blew my socks off. Yeah. And so... Then, we gotta have that contradiction. That then we have this like post. series of like six, eight months playing mm. like actual venues on the strip now. The Troubadour, the Whiskey, not just playing at Filthy mm-hmm. McNasty's. And they finished playing a show, I think it's at the Whiskey. Yes. And they they all come out of the show covered in sweat, drenched, and Teddy's like, it was a good set. And Billy's like, no, it fucking wasn't. And he, like, starts listing issues with, mm-hmm. like, the set. And Teddy, like, laughs. He goes, so, I think it's time. And Billy's like, what do you mean? He's like, booked you with studio time next week. The record company thinks it's time to get you get you out and cut a, cut a record. And out on tour. You got six days in studio, then two weeks off, then you're on tour. And Billy, like, freaks out, hugs Teddy. And Teddy's and- like, whoa, 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 man, don't do it. Don't cal- calm down. Ah, you're so sweaty. And the rest of the band looks and they're like, what's going on? And Billy's like, we're making a record. So then Teddy gets swamped in sweaty rockers and is not pleased with this outcome at all. Yep. So then the six jam out a record. We we, mm-hmm. we watched the recording process a little bit, mostly from Camilla's camera. Like she's the one yeah. recording, taking pictures and stuff. And we also see kind of like during this time because like we get the record it's fine there's not a lot going on here in the recording room mm-hmm. and we kind of see them like getting all ready for it we also see teddy is continuously like trying to get daisy to sign with him mm-hmm. and each time she's just like nope not interested it's fine and he's just like look i i think you have talent but your songs aren't songs they start at one place and end at the same place there's no movement they don't take me anywhere she's like well maybe you're just listening to them wrong and then he plays some dusty springfield songs and he's um, like preacher son yeah he plays 
Jesus preacher, somebody just like Springfield, and he's just like, this this is a song. This is a story. Um, and he's like, I just want you to be able to do better. And then he just kind of leaves. And we cut to these, and she's just says like, it's the first time I ever wanted to meet someone's expectations. Yep, and then we cut. The record's been recorded, and Billy and Camilla are sitting in the house. Mm-hmm. And Billy's like, when we get back from when I get back from tour, we'll have enough money to buy our own place. Somewhere further yep. up the beach. Something, somewhere further up, or even maybe on the beach. And she's like, I'm pregnant. I mean, he, I, I didn't know when to tell you. I didn't know what the right time was. There's never a right time. I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I, we never talked about this. And th- they get married that night. Billy's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to mm-hmm. get married. And then Eddie's congratulating Camilla. And we see Graham congratulate Billy. And he's also like, you're married and you're going to be a father, man. And then we kind of just see in Billy's face like, oh, fuck, I'm going to be a dad. And he just starts drinking incredibly heavily. Not that he yep. wasn't already drinking heavily. but And then we kind of cut from any of the flashbacks to all of the band members being asked, well, what do you guys remember about your first tour? Graham's answer is the best. What, what do you guys remember about your first tour, Graham? Mescaline is a hell That's of a drug. That's Warren. Oh, uh, Warren, yeah. Mescaline is a hell of a drug. Yeah. And they're all just like, it was a long time ago. I don't really remember. And then we cut to Camilla and she's just like, I remember everything. And so, like, a lot of this is from Camilla's point of view. Mm-hmm. Initially, like, we, we get a phone call from Billy. He, he sounds fucked up, but, like... I mean, the first phone call isn't fucked up. But, like, he, he sounds fucked up. He sounds kind of drunk, but not, like, fucked up. Well, by fucked up, I mean, like, it's not, like, fucked up on drugs. It's fucked up, like, because of, like, sleep schedules yeah, and yeah. time shifts and, like, going from place to place. Like, just the act of mm-hmm. traveling, how traveling itself fucks you up. Not, like, he's, like, he's, yeah. like, calling from Phoenix, but he doesn't know what time mm-hmm. it is. And, like, um... And then the next call, he's talking. She's, like... We miss you. And he's like, who's we? And he's like, he's apologizing for not calling the day before, even though he did. Yeah. Like now and he's, he's slurring his words. He is drunk at the very least. Yeah. She's like, me and the baby miss you. And then he hangs up. And, and then, then we just get no call for a while. She tries calling him. She has an album of the six. Their album has come out. So she, she tries calling them and mm-hmm. mostly it just rings and doesn't answer. But then finally she gets a hold, a hold of Karen and Karen basically like ends the call as fast as possible. She's like, like, I have, nope, I have no idea where Billy is. I have things I got to do. Bye-bye. And so Camilla's just like, fuck it. And drives out to the, the, one of their stops on the tour. Mm-hmm. She's knocking on a motel door. No answer. And then she turns around and like goes to walk back towards her car, but sees Graham and Eddie. And their van, they're still running their same van, which is classic first tour shit. You don't get a giant bus all of a sudden, like so many movies or things. I do believe you're still driving the same shitty van. And Camilla walks up to it after forcing her way past the other two. They're like, hey, you don't want to do that. And Billy's in the back with two groupies. Mm-hmm. And like Eddie's mentions here in the present day, he's like, Billy was just so ungrateful. Uh, he didn't care about what he had. That He was just like, yeah. he broke her heart. And then we cut to Billy and Camilla in mm-hmm. Billy's motel room. But before Billy, like, actually confronts camilla about what's going on he takes, he takes a, a shower and b- a bump of cocaine and then camilla sees and she just like fucking tears over him she's like what the fuck do you think you're doing pins him against the wall and she's like i don't give a fuck what you do before this baby comes but when it does you're gonna show up for me you're not gonna fuck up my life you're not gonna fuck up your life or this kid's life you're gonna show up you're gonna keep showing up for every goddamn day until you die she forces him to get him in the air camilla's a fucking badass yeah and she's like so far in this show in these two episodes probably my favorite character she doesn't put up with bullshit like everyone else is like oh i want to quit she's just like fuck you guys i also came all the way out here left my friends and family fuck it you guys are friends and family here i don't have either that i have just you fucks i don't know i like the drummer too i mean warren's also great we just don't have enough of him for me to be like (laughs) warren's the best so i gotta be like camilla's the best asterisk warren might win but so far not enough characterization then we get daisy who has started reworking her music yeah 
after her last mm-hmm. confrontation with Teddy. And she plays a new song for Simone, who records it for her. Yeah, and they're all just kind of like, they're both just like, yeah, 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 good song. And while they're doing that, we get the six performing on stage in San Diego. And Billy is visibly fucked up. I have only one time seen seen a band perform this fucked up and i've seen 150 plus bands live yeah the only time i've seen a band fuck perform this fucked up was asking alexandria on, at um mayhem mm-hmm. that's where it was it's like danny couldn't stand up straight he was using the mic to like yeah, he was yeah. using the mic stand to like stay standing like that's the only time i've seen a band this fucked up and like by band i mean lead singer because mm. the rest of the band were like not visibly yeah. fucked up but Billy is like I've stumbling around stage. One other time, but I don't even know if it was the band was fucked up. Or if, oh, I wait, think it was because they were title fight. Title fight. Yeah, they were a big band, but they were like he was tripping on his mic cable like crazy. The guitarists were tripping over their cables. Like they were all, they all seemed visibly fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about except title the drummer. Fight. The drummer was on time and kept trying to push things forward. Forgot about title fight. Yeah, that, that, title fight was a bad thing. I was like, they were a train wreck. I was like title fight. I know you. You are a you are well known punk-ish band like what the f- what what is this you were an actual big band at the time like what the fuck's going on guys you're opening for a day to remember and rise against the fuck you guys doing yeah i was about to be like oh, no i remember title fight title fight was fucked up yeah that's fair i forgot about them but so they're fucked up and they get off stage and the other band members seem pissed at billy oh, and oh, teddy's there we as an audience see teddy watching them mm-hmm. but like the band doesn't know teddy's there yeah and they come off stage and teddy's there and billy's like the fuck graham you you called teddy and he's like no man i fucking didn't but i mean and Teddy's like, well, nice to see you too. Mm-hmm. But no, Teddy's there because Billy's daughter was just born and he's there to take Billy from San Diego to LA to meet his daughter. And that he will regroup with the six in Seattle with Billy. So they're driving from um, San Diego to Los Angeles in Teddy's McLaren. Yep. Because Teddy has this super fucking nice oh, car. Oh God, it's so fucking nice. Oh, fuck me. I'm not even a car guy, but that McLaren is beautiful. Yeah. And Billy's like, no, you gotta pull over, man. You gotta pull over right now. So Teddy does, and Billy throws up, and Teddy's just like, you can tell Teddy's so fucking fed up with this bullshit. And after Billy finishes throwing up, he pulls himself back into the car and, like, passes out. Mm -hmm. And they get to Los Angeles. They get to the the hospital. hospital. And Teddy's like, you gotta get out, man. You're here. You gotta gotta go. The girls are waiting for you. And Billy's just like, I can't can't do it, man. I I can't shake him. can't shake him. And Teddy's just like, you don't get a second chance at this. This is the only thing you've got. Like, go in there. And Billy's just like, I can't. I fucking can't. And he's just like, get the fuck fuck out of my car and when billy's like what teddy goes get the fuck out of my car yeah so billy like clambers down still unsteady on his feet holding himself standing Mm -hmm. via the door yeah and he's just like starting to cry he's like i i really can't teddy i can't i can't go in there like this like i I can't meet her like this which is like a strong sentiment but also still like bro you're you're still really fucking shitty mm mm-hmm and while this is going on, we cut da- to Daisy, like, dropping off. A tape outside Teddy's door. Uh, yeah, it's Gift wrapped, wrapped and got a bow on it. On it. Yeah. And Teddy goes, okay, get back in then. And Billy's like, well, what are we going to do? And Teddy's like, if this isn't the place, there's only one other place we can go. They start driving th- through LA, and we cut to the interview, and Billy goes, it was just another... You know, you know the story. Another rock and roll story is just the same as all the others. Drugs, alcohol, oh, loneliness. And, and the interview's just like... like that, yeah, that's where the story typically ends. This was just the start for you, right? That's the end of the episode. Yep. What do you think of episode two, I'll Take You There, of Daisy Jones and the Six? I think I know where they were taking him now. Uh, they were taking Billy to the hospital to see his daughter, or hopefully by the end of this, to a fucking rehab center. It's gotta the be, man re- needs it's gotta it. be rehab, right? Like Or a quarry to just like... <laughs> 
you know, push him over the edge. No one else is gonna fucking notice. It'll be fine. We'll find a new lead singer. That's what I got. That's why I've been trying to get Daisy. Like, I gotta get rid of this Billy guy. The Billy in the present day is like a doppelganger, like how they replaced um, Paul. Yeah, yeah, like, how they replaced Paul or yeah, Avril exactly. Lavigne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't tell me they seem like the same person. Like the jaws look a little bit different. Maybe it's the beard, or maybe they grew the beard to disguise it to not Billy. I'm just saying, man. Okay, so what like what are your thoughts on the episode itself, though? Episode's good. I think they do really good characterization for Camilla, like I said. And we do get more Warren, which is nice. We actually get, like, more characterization for the people who aren't Daisy, Billy, and I guess Graham. Yeah. Which is nice. And I hope we kind of continue that forward, but kind of from the way the documentary is being presented, Daisy is a big, important part. Billy and Daisy are the main mm-hmm. characters, yeah. And thus, by, like, some context, Camilla's also very important because mm-hmm. Billy. But I hope we do get more of Warren Graham, Eddie, and the others. Like, I feel like there's going to be obviously a big fight with Eddie and Billy because of Camilla. Yeah. But like Graham and Warren don't feel like they, they feel like they're going to be kind of important, but not too much, which is sad. I hope we get more of them. And Simone, I don't know how she's going to fall into it because it feels like her job's almost already kind of done now. Yeah. She feels like a tangential character mm-hmm. from the get go. Like she put Daisy on the right track and that track led to. Yeah. And now Daisy they're still just friends, but like, okay, cool. Yeah. But what else is there for her in the story of Daisy Jones and the Six? Yeah. But I think it's a good show, and I think I would continue to watch more. There's only nine episodes. Yeah, I think I would watch the other seven. And it's a limited series. It's not like there's going to be a season two because it's based off a novel. Yeah. So, though, what are your thoughts on Daisy Jones and the Six? I really enjoy it. Or or Daisy Jones and the Five Plus One. I really enjoy it. The setting is, like, still exactly what I, I want in, like, a rock show. Like, we watched Paradise Lost. Yeah. And Paradise Lost is a similar show from a conceptual standpoint. It's about a band and, like, how they grow to be, like, the biggest band in the world. And how they fuck up along the way. Yeah. Like, conceptually, it's a similar show. The difference is Paradise Lost is isn't, try- set up as a, isn't set up as a mockumentary. It's also, like, trying to, like, code itself in 70s and 80s aesthetics while being set in the modern day. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Because, like, a large portion of the of the key aesthetics around the strip in this time period don't jive with modern technology in the modern world. Like, yeah. you wouldn't have had bands, like, hopping from bar to bar trying to get gigs if they could get on Facebook and just message the venue. Well, no. If they could just convince Live Nation or, like, if they or could- Ticketmaster to put them up somewhere because they're the ones that control where you get a book and where you get to play shows at or if they could just post a tiktok and blow up that way yeah like it doesn't jive like it doesn't it doesn't work but this show because it actually sets itself 50 years ago functions because it doesn't have access to those things yep like any good horror movie you got to remove the social media additionally i really like billy's characterization as like an alcoholic and a drug addict because Mm -hmm. even for episode one it's slowly building like as the band gets bigger he he continually like drinks more like yeah he was drinking before the first like graduation party or prom thing we saw Mm -hmm. he was drinking at the wedding we see him drinking when they're deciding at the diner because we see him pull out a bottle of whiskey spike Uh, his coffee with it put it back in his pocket he's drinking when he's with camilla and then we see that camilla's kind of writing him in and then the moment that person who's writing him in is gone Mm -hmm. he's just fucking messed and it's like it's not like the other band members aren't drinking but like even when they're not even when it's like not a Mm -hmm. necessarily socially acceptable moment to be drinking billy is drinking like it just gets progressively worse it doesn't show it or it doesn't it shows it i would say it only comes out and calls it directly out obviously 
obviously. But like in the diner, when they're all talking, trying to come up with stuff, the pocket he keeps the alcohol in is on the left. He is sitting on the outside thing of the diner. Camilla is directly to his right. He kind of hunches his shoulder and pours it into his coffee and slides it right back in immediately. But it doesn't look like he's trying to hide it from the rest of the restaurant, which is who would see that. Yeah. He's hiding it from to the inside of the booth, which is where Camilla is sitting. And Graham. And Graham, yes. Yep. So I really like that, like the characterization of Billy. Mm-hmm. And I like the way they like, I like the way the show, like I said, uses its cinematography because I think it's really easy to lose that it does that really well mm-hmm. in the fact that it's a music-based show set in a specific area. So you're focused on the aesthetic, you're focused on the setting, and you're focused on the soundtrack when there is obviously a lot of other work that's gone into it that I think has been done really well. On that note, we've talked a lot about the plot of the show and stuff, but the music is also very good. Silver Nell is a really good ballad. And also, look at, look me. at me. Yeah, that song mm-hmm. is a banger. Fuck, dude. Uh, th- yeah, look, no. if you like Fleetwood Mac or Fleetwood Mac vibes. Yeah, and also, that's the thing we haven't mentioned. This show isn't about Fleetwood Mac. But it is heavily inspired by Fleetwood Mac, apparently. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. I enjoyed it. That's all I gotta say about it. And if you would like to tell us if you've heard of it want to watch it or what your thoughts are on it or on anything else or if you have any suggestions for what we can do for a book that has episodes whether it be chapters or in the book like production series that would be great and you can do so by emailing us at copilotsreview at gmail.com you could also hit us up on Twitter at Copilots Review or on Hive at Copilots Review. I almost said Mastodon. Um, yeah, I don't know how Mastodon works. Yeah, it's all like individual servers and stuff. Yeah, and, and like, I don't really know how to join them or switch between them easily, so I haven't really done much with it. Yeah, like I don't think it's hard if I put in the time and effort to like learn the very basics of how it's set up, but that doesn't sound like something I'm going to do. Yeah, so you could hit us on Twitter or on Hive. But you can also find both of those links and our email at copilotsreview.simplecast.com. Which also has links to our YouTube, our Patreon, our second hidden email. No, no. I mean, everything has a link to our second hidden email if you go through there. Because you can find where the second hidden email is located by going to the website and then finding it somewhere on there. Finding the episode where we specifically mentioned the, the hidden the hidden email. Yes. Do I remember what episode it is? No. No, I do not. But anyways, though, thanks for flying with us. And please fly again soon. Mm-hmm.